At the 11th hour, Israeli opposition leaders came to a deal that creates a unity government ousting longtime or Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What does this mean for the future of Israel, the region, and relations with the United States? We'll discuss it in this emergency podcast. I'm Dr. Nolte, and this is Blind Politics. And welcome, podcast listeners, to another informative and events-driven episode of Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte. I'm Dr. A.J. Nolte, Assistant Professor of Government at Regent University's Robertson School of Government. Please remember that you can rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Provide us a five-star rating if you enjoy what we do and if your provider has a ratings option. You can find us on Facebook at Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte and on the Facebook and Instagram feeds of Regent University's Robertson School. So, breaking news coming out of Israel, I'm recording this on Thursday morning, the news came out on Wednesday, that a deal has been struck between opposition parties to form a government excluding Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This is a ramshackle cobbled together affair that is fascinating and demonstrates just how insane Israeli politics can be. After all, we have a party that started out as a religious Zionist party representing settlers in coalition with an explicitly anti-Zionist Arab party that has an Islamist orientation. We have um, several parties that are are considered quote-unquote center or center-left. I'm going to say that they're actually on the right. We have Meretz in in the party. We have Avigdor Lieberman. We have Yair Lapid. It's just all kinds of crazy fun if you're all following Israeli politics. So I want to do a couple of things in this podcast, and we want to do them quickly, I think, because I want to get you the information as quickly and effectively as possible. We will be addressing this again, I'm sure, as things develop. And of course, we did just do an episode on Israel not too long ago, but things keep happening. And as long as things happen, to a certain extent, we have to react to events, and this is the event that we're reacting to today. So what are the mechanics of this government? First of all, it's a very narrow government, so it'll be 61 seats, okay? What are the elements that come into this? So first of all, Yair Lapid has the largest party in this government, his party Yeshatid, which is a sort of secular centrist party, centrist in the sense of they're, they're moderate on security and religious issues, so socially conservative. They're more socially moderate. They're more fiscally conservative, though. So the, the left-right spectrum in Israel comes along three axes. It comes along the axis of economics, which is almost never the way people talk about. There are very few parties that are defined as left or right based on their economic positions. Labor is probably the closest to that you're going to find, uh, although they would align with the left on other issues, right? Then you have security, and that is the, the, the relationship toward the Palestinians and toward territory. That's the second axis. And so on that axis, Meretz would define the left, and you get sort of the, the religious Zionist party all, all the way over on the other extreme. Actually, the Arab parties are probably dominant to the left of merits, although not by much. And then the third axis is what I call social conservative issues. This is the role of religion and state, you know, questions about marriage, questions about Jewish law in the governance of Israel, questions also about the role of the LGBT community, because within the Israeli Knesset, there are people who are so socially conservative, they make pretty much every Christian not named Fred Phelps look like a moderate by comparison in the United States. And there is also a party that has an openly gay leader and parties that are more on the right that have openly gay members that are high ranked in the Knesset to include Likud. Okay, so Israel's political scene is extremely complex and diverse. 
So Yair Lapid is a centrist. He is to the right on economic issues. Like I said, this is the least determinative of, of the three. He is to the center-right, I would say, on security issues. And he is to the moderate to center-left on social conservative issues. Okay, so that's Yair Lapid. But he's not going to be prime minister. The prime minister is going to be Naftali Bennett. And he has seven seats in the Yamina party. But Bennett is a kingmaker because the opposition could not form a coalition without him. And he was open to possibly going into a deal with Netanyahu as well. So Bennett is one of two kingmakers. The other we'll come back to in a second because it is ironic who the two kingmakers are. Folks that in some ways are polar opposites on the Israeli political uh, spectrum, but in other ways are not. So we have Naftali Bennett, who is going to be prime minister of Israel in the first rotation because they need him, because he is indispensable. And because making him prime minister prevents Netanyahu from making the effective argument that this is a left-wing government. Naftali Bennett has been described as to the right of Netanyahu, and I think that's probably an accurate description based on some of his, his positions. He's advocated for things in the past, like uh, annexation of large sections of the West Bank. He is religiously observant. He's going to be the first prime minister in Israel to wear kippah and yarmulke. So he is, he is more observant than pretty much any leader in the history of Israel. So that's going to be fascinating as well. And he's going to be the first prime minister. And, and he, is, he is to the right. He's also uh, a tech millionaire. So it's going to be interesting times for, for the tech sector and for the economy. And he has said that what they're going to focus on first is economic issues. Now, that's interesting to me because when we start looking at some of the other parties in this coalition, I'm not sure where they are where Bennett and Lapid are on matters of economics. Okay. And then the other main portfolio, of course, we have Yisrael Batenu. Victor Lieberman is going to be finance minister. Now, Lieberman is an interesting place. Lieberman's party is explicitly based on the idea that they are secular and they are ultra-nationalist. Okay, so they're secular, so they're to the left on, on social issues, but they are to the far right, actually, on security issues. Lieberman does not want to accept that any Arabs are true citizens of Israel and wants to make them all take loyalty oaths. He's been explicit about that in the past. So now you have a situation where Lieberman's in coalition with an Arab party, we'll get to that in a second, and has empowered the first religiously observant prime minister in the history of Israel. I venture to say that the next time there are elections, Lieberman's out of the Knesset. Because he is basically, at this point, in order to get Netanyahu out, he's abandoned everything. So how did you get him to do that? Well, you made him finance minister. Okay, so he's got a prominent position in this new government, and that is why uh, he's able to do that. Speculation being that if he is finance minister, he can redistribute some of the funding allocations away from the ultra-Orthodox Haredi and to the Russian-Israeli population, which is his bread and butter. And he's going to have to do that in order to say, I got you, to go back to his voters when he speaks to them in Russian, because that's what he does, and say, I got you something. Okay, so that is Lieberman in this position. Now, the other parties in the coalition, I will go in order from right to left. Okay, so Yamina, I mentioned, is Naftali Bennett's party. They're by some definitions considered to the right of Likud, although I think it's, it's hard to say ideologically what the difference here is between them. You know, you could think of Naftali Bennett as Ted Cruz if, if, if Bibi is Trump. Which, you know, I'm not saying that comparison for them stylistically or anything like that. I'm just saying if you're, if you're saying, you know, central Republican party would be Likud, then maybe Naftali Bennett is, is a Ted Cruz 
or possibly, you know, a Josh Hawley type figure who is in some ways to the right, but is willing to do some things that are a little bit outside the box. And is not necessarily always going to be a team player for what the, in, in Netanyahu sense, sort of the, the dominant force on the right wants. Netanyahu and, and Naftali Bennett were also personally very close. Bennett is a former eight. Okay, so we have Yamina. Next is New Hope. This is another breakaway party from Likud. It's led by Gidon Saar, who was a, a primary rival of Likud, who was actually in Likud until this most recent election. He broke off with his party called New Hope. And so he's the next most conservative party, is Gidon Saar. Following that would be Kaholavan. This is the party of Benny Gantz. Another former frenemy of Netanyahu, a previous rival who then served in the unity government with him, who, who then broke away. There was a lot of thought that Kaholavan would not pass the threshold, yet they did. Then we also have Lapid's party, Yeshatid, which I mentioned previously. Or, depending on how you count the left-right axis, Yisrael Batenu might be the next most conservative. But I would say Lapid and Lieberman are sort of close. Lieberman is a good bit more conservative in terms of, I would say, further to the right. Actually, conservative liberal doesn't apply, but further to the right on security issues than Lapid, although probably not by a ton. So that is going to be sort of the next most conservative party would be Yisrael Batenu, which is Lieberman's party, and then followed by Yeshatib. Now, for the next party, I'm going to jump off in a completely different direction <laughs> in terms of your left-right spectrum in Israeli politics. Because this party is way, way over on the left in the security issues, but is also kind of more to the right on social issues. And that party is Ram, or the United Arab List of Mansour Abbas. So who is Mansour Abbas? Mansour Abbas is the leader of the Islamic movement Southern Branch. Mansour Abbas broke off from the joint Arab list with parties that were, I would say, across the board to the left. So left on security, left on economics to, to a certain extent, especially Hadash, which is the main party in that list, which is communist, and then also left on social issues. Mansour Abbas is a social conservative. He's an Islamist. Okay, He has a traditionalist view of Islam. In terms of social conservatism within this government, Mansour Abbas is probably the, the furthest to the right. Okay, He broke off from the joint Arab list partially because they joined some of the left-wing parties in their support for gay marriage. And he's like, no, this is, this is not in the Quran. We're Muslims. This is not a thing that we're okay with. Okay, So Mansour Abbas, ironically enough, is probably the person who is going to be the most responsible for keeping this government from going too far to the left on social issues. He's got four seats, but they only have 61. They cannot lose the United Arab list. So Mansour Abbas, I think, is going to want two things. He's going to want to preserve some of that social conservative uh, aspect, particularly on gay marriage, and he's going to want money to the Arab community. Now, let me pause and say something that's been really irritating in the coverage of this, okay? There is a tendency among Americans in the press, and particularly people on the left, are now using this neologism that I frankly have never seen before of Palestinian citizens of Israel. They're calling them Palestinian citizens of Israel. Okay, that's not the that's not a term that we've ever heard before. The term is Arab Israeli. Okay, Arab Israeli is the generally accepted term in parlance. But this is a significant political term. Which term you use is politically significant. I would say and this has become a, a political dividing line within the Arab community. Those who call themselves Arab Israelis seem like they're a little bit more okay with saying, look, we recognize that, that Israel is a reality. 
they're not willing to say we recognize the design as character of the state, but we recognize that it is a reality and we want to work within the system to make things better for Arabs. Okay, so that is Arab-Israeli. Palestinian citizens of Israel is we want to hold on to our Palestinian identity and to a certain extent is saying the territories that we hold are not legitimately Israeli territory. Okay, so we want to be very clear when people use the term Palestinian citizens of Israel, they're saying that that territory in which the Arabs live is not legitimately part of Israel and that these people are Palestinian and there's an implication that they should be part of a Palestinian state. So one of the interesting questions that, that comes about in terms of Arab-Israeli politics is if you are a young Arab-Israeli looking at the future and looking what's happening in, in the West Bank and Gaza and looking what's happening in Israel, are you better off being a second-class citizen in Israel or a first-class citizen in the Palestinian territories? And the fact that that's a question, okay? And I said second-class in, in a very real sense because Israel's a Zionist state. You know, you're going to have a situation where Jewishness in some sense, is institutionalized as the identity of the state. That is that is a non-negotiable aspect of Israeli identity. Okay, so with that being said, you might still be better off as an Arab Israeli, as a citizen of Israel, as an Arab Israeli, than you would be as a Palestinian, as a citizen of the West Bank or as of Hamas. And partially that's because of Israeli occupation policies, but frankly, partially is also because of the extreme poor governance of both Fatah and Hamas in the West Bank and Gaza, respectively. And so, bottom line is, part of the, the, the calculus that brings Mansour Abbas into this government is that we have more to gain by playing the game within Israel than we do by not playing the game. Mansour Abbas looks at what happened with the ultra-Orthodox parties who were anti-Zionist at one point, but decided we need to play the game so that we can benefit our communities. He looks at the degree to which they have been able to gain power and institutionalize from that, and he says, I want some of that. That's a huge shift for Israel, okay? The more that Israel citizens who are Arab think of themselves as Arab Israelis rather than Palestinian citizens of Israel, the more tenable it looks like for there to be some kind of integration moving forward, okay? So that's Mansour Abbas. He's a very important piece of this, and it will be fascinating to see how all of this plays out. Okay, then moving further left, we have Meretz and Labor. Labor and Meretz. These are the two uh, left-wing parties. These are the parties who, who allow, essentially, Bibi to make the argument that this is a left-wing government. He can't claim this is a left-wing government because of Mansour Abbas. Why? Because Bibi was also negotiating with Mansour Abbas, right? So he can't criticize this new government for saying, oh, you've got Arabs in the government, because he, he was trying to win over Ram as well. All right? So uh, that is kind of the, the shape of your government. It is a uh, complete spectrum. Merits is to the left on everything, particularly on peace and social issues. Labor is a, is to the left on economics and a little bit to the right of Meretz on on peace issues, uh, on security issues, uh, and, pr and probably on social issues. Um, not necessarily that they would disagree with Meretz, but they wouldn't emphasize them to the same extent. Nitzan Horowitz, who is the leader of Meretz, is openly LGBTQ+, and that has been sort of a, a central aspect of Meretz's identity is advocating for that. Okay, so, so you've got the, 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 the pro-gay liberals and the Islamists in a coalition that's headed up by the first religiously observant prime minister of Israel. Okay, this is insane. Only in Israeli politics. To imagine this, to understand this, imagine President Mike Huckabee, 
forming a coalition that includes, you know, Lindsey Graham, Barney Frank, you know, or I'm trying to think of, uh, for, for those who aren't familiar, in a sort of, sort of an openly gay contemporary Democratic politician. I'm not as up on some of that. I think like Sean Patrick Maloney, maybe. And then you've got, let's not say Ilhan Omar, because I actually think Mansoor Abbas is a lot more moderate and pragmatic than that. Let's just say, you know, one of the uh, one of the leaders of of a major mosque in the United States, right, is going to be a portfolio in the Huckabee administration. And this is kind of like the dynamic, the equivalent dynamic of, of what's happening here. So, you know, and obviously this would never happen in the United States. And everybody that I've mentioned, you know, and, and then, of course, you've got some some Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney types in there, in there as well. And, uh, you know, just for fun, I don't know, a fiscally conservative, socially liberal type, you know, Lapid, let's just say, oh, I don't know, there aren't that many of those. But let's just say Rudy Giuliani kind of before he went full Trump. So like 2008, Rudy Giuliani in there as well. All right. That coalition doesn't seem like it's going to hold together very long, does it? And that's the speculation is that this is going to fall apart. However, it is probably going to last long enough to get BB out. And once BB's out, that means that BB's trial starts, that means that he loses his immunity, and that means that we finally get to adjudicate the corruption charges against him. I'm not convinced the corruption charges will stick, to be perfectly frank. We, we really don't know. But this gets adjudicated. Okay, so what is the impact on BB? Well, obviously it's a huge defeat for him, if it holds up. Now, they're going to do everything they can to peel off two people from this coalition. And, and really, you only need one. You, need, you get one person to defect from this coalition, and you, you trigger another election, okay? And so, the, the, you know, particularly for those members of Yamina, the most right-wing party, it's going to be intense. They're already being heckled, attacked, you know, having graffiti on their houses, vandalized, all this kind of stuff. They, they have had to have security because of, of these attacks. But here's the real danger for Netanyahu. The real danger for Netanyahu is not in the next two weeks. The real danger for Netanyahu is that once he is not a power player, once he is under indictment, do you start to see Likudniks reach out to Bennett and say, let's make a deal? Okay, because if you have Likud essentially merge with Yamina, with Bennett as the new party leader, that's a game changer. And if you're Bennett, that's what you want. That's your ultimate end goal. Because you're a Likudnik by background, you're a former aide of Bibi Netanyahu, and what you can essentially say to Likud is, why don't you guys come on in over here and join up? If Bennett wants to pull this off, he probably would have to give Netanyahu some sort of pardon. This will be challenged by the fact that I don't, I'm pretty sure his party does not control the justice ministry, at least initially. Okay, So there would have to be a deal worked out. But if Likud came under Bennett, he could pretty much get rid of a good chunk of his coalition to the left. And it'd be very easy for Bennett to form a right-wing coalition without Netanyahu. So how did we get here? Was there a single moment at which Bibi Netanyahu sealed his own fate here? I would say yes. I would say the mistake that that's going to cost Bibi the prime ministership, if this goes through, was brokering a deal between the religious Zionist parties. Because had the religious Zionists, the party of Bezalel Smudrich and the ex-Kahanists, had those parties stayed separated and split their votes, in all likelihood, those votes would have distributed to other parties with whom Netanyahu could have cut a deal. Bennett might have gotten more seats. 
Because if those parties looked like they weren't going to cross the threshold, some of those parties, uh, some of those votes would have redistributed to him. Other votes, people might have said, ah, okay, well, you know, if, the, if RZ is not a unified thing, I guess we'll vote for UTJ or Shots, right? You know, but I, I suspect a certain number of those voters would have gone to Bennett or would have gone directly to Likud. So in order to try to get himself over 61, Netanyahu brokered this deal with the religious Zionists. The problem is the religious Zionists would absolutely refuse to sit with Mansour Abbas. So it was impossible for Bibi to get to 61 because he made too many deals with too many people and ultimately the religious Zionists or the fly in the ointment. Had Smodrich's party not entered parliament, I would say Bibi probably would have found a way to get to 61. So this is Bibi's own fault, unfortunately, for him. You know, if you're a Bibi supporter, nobody is more responsible for this than Netanyahu himself. Because in his desperation to stay in power, he miscalculated. By bringing the religious Zionists in, there are so many people who won't work with them. They're too far to the right, they're too toxic, and they would not sit with the, the Arab parties. They would not sit with Mansour Abbas. Okay, so Netanyahu, that is a short term. Long term, though, and I want to wrap up with this, and, and this is a longer topic. We probably, if this comes to pass, we'll need to do a whole separate thing on the legacy of Netanyahu because he's been such a towering figure in Israeli politics and in the politics of the region. But long term, Netanyahu's legacy has been enormous. He has completely shifted the, the I would say, the ground in Israeli politics. He has changed the regional balance. He has changed Israel's balance and perception with the rest of the world, making them less reliant on the United States. By the way, as an American, I would say that's a good thing. As an Israeli, you would certainly say that's a good thing. But as an American, it's good for your allies to be stronger and have allies. So that's not a bad thing, necessarily, that he's less dependent uh, on the United States. And so Netanyahu's legacy has been enormous. You could say some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. What you can't say is that it hasn't been huge. It hasn't been tremendous. And like I said, that's probably a separate podcast that we need to do. But this is the, the shape of things. Do I think Netanyahu is going to be able to pick off one person? I never count Netanyahu out. Never. He has done it before. You know, no one is to say that he can't do it again. But I would say this time it's going to be harder. Because Bennett would not have made this move with his coalition partners in Yamina if he did not already have pretty much locked down uh, their support for him doing this. If there was any hesitation from any of them, I don't think he would have done it. Because, and, and I think he knows those seven MKs well enough to know that they were going to back him to the hilt on this. Because I think there's a plan for them at some point to shift the terms of the debate. And actually, the goal, if you're the leadership of Yamina, is a new right-wing coalition. You bring Tsar, uh, you bring New Hope, you bring Likud, you bring Yamina all into one party, which is very feasible if Netanyahu's gone, and Naftali Bennett becomes the leader of it. And so that's, I think, the play that, that he has convinced the, the other members of Yamina that he is going for. And so I don't think any of them are going to defect. Watch the left, though. That's where things get interesting. So can Netanyahu reach out to the Arab list and persuade them to persuade one of Mansour Abbas's folks to bolt? Can he work a deal with elements of labor or pick off one of Benny Gantz's uh, MKs or something like that. I don't think it's going to come from Yamina, but watch some of the parties to Yamina's left because that's Netanyahu's best shot at, at breaking somebody off from this coalition. But ultimately, I think it does show that Netanyahu is running out of time, he's running out of maneuvering room, and people are tired of him. And so he's, he's really got to be thinking in terms of 
what's my exit strategy from this? And, and how do I preserve my legacy and stay out of jail, frankly? Because even if this, this prosecution is sort of politically motivated, you know, in terms of staying out of jail, Netanyahu's best bet may actually be to be out of power, let things sort of cool down a little bit and see where we go from there. Okay, so that's going to be a wrap for this episode. I understand very, very short podcast, but I wanted to get something down on this because it's it's breaking news sort of right now um, and hopefully we can we can get this released fairly soon to give everybody an update on what's happening the last point that i'll make is that all of the american media coverage of this is absolutely terrible i had to piece together several stories just to get a list of the parties that were in the coalition and most american news sources have absolutely no idea what's going on and you should ignore everything they say because this Israel thing just demonstrates the complete inability of the American media to cover politics in another country, let alone in ours. Okay, so that's going to be a wrap. Thank you for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. If you have friends who want to know what's happening in Israel, what's this crazy deal, point them to this episode and ask them also to rate and subscribe to Blind Politics. I want to thank producer Kylan for her excellent work thus far. This podcast and a couple of the, the other ones have been produced by our new producer, Emily Polson. Welcome aboard, producer Emily. And so I just want to say that as a quick administrative note, and that's a wrap. So for Blind Politics, this is Dr. Nolte signing off.